0: take us a while to get through. Uh, We are going to be looking at the 12 disciples. And today we're not going to talk about anyone in particular. We're going to talk about just some general overview stuff to kind of give you a picture of these these guys. Um, Technically, and we'll get into this this morning a little bit, they're actually the 12 apostles but we often know them as the 12 disciples. Um, What I want you to understand about these people is that Although they are very, very important, they didn't start out that way. These were simply ordinary guys. These are people, in fact, that when we start to look at them a little bit, you're going to realize that they were about as mixed a bunch as you could get. Uh, Some of them were zealots. Basically, zealots were radical people who didn't want anything to do with any authority. And yet they became followers of Jesus Christ. Matthew was a tax collector. He was looked at um, by the culture of the Jewish people uh, as a traitor. Rome loved him. Jews hated him. He was often, often tax collectors were considered thieves because that's really what they were. We have guys who were fishermen who just simply made a trade by the, by really by a, a, you know, seven-day-a-week kind of thing to to make a living. So you have this eclectic group of people that God is going to choose, and and there are lessons, I think, for all of us in their stories. Basically, you have to understand that when you read your Bible, most of what you read in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John take place in the last 18 months in the life of Jesus. So Jesus lived over 33 years and 32 years, and you're seeing in the New Testament about the last three years of his life, when we talk about the disciples, about the last 18 months. So he takes this ragtag group of guys and, and transforms them in a very, very short amount of time. I mean, 18 months, come on. you know Most of you spent, pay longer than that on a car that you just bought. And yet he's going to take these guys... And he's going to prepare them to change the world with the greatest message that's ever been. And it's not a group any of us would have picked. The more we get into their lives, the more you're going to be amazed. You're going to be like, what in the world were you thinking? And yet, God used them because God picked them. And God knew from the beginning who these 12 guys were going to be. So we're going to look at a couple passages and make sure we have an understanding of the overview of the disciples, and I'm going to get in a couple lessons for us this morning that I think will help all of us. So, uh, the first idea is in the book of John, where we see some of the first disciples called. And you need to understand that they are believers first. So, here's the passage in John about some of the early guys that were chosen. It said, um, "Oh, oh man, that didn't do what it's supposed to do. Okay, you're not going to. It's been a very long week. So." I'm going, to read, I'm going to start in verse 35, which is above this. Again, the next day John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak. They followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, seeing them, uh, following, said to them, Whom do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to be translated a teacher, um, Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and he remained with them that day. Now, it was about the tenth hour um, one of the two, heard John speak, followed him, was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We here have found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ. And he brought them to Jesus. And now Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. What you need to understand is that some of the disciples, they were, all of them were already believers. They were going to follow Jesus Christ. But the thing is, and these guys, they were disciples of John first. And so what happens is John is teaching, and, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up, and this is at the baptism of Jesus. And so uh, Jesus shows up, and John says, Hey, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is the guy I've been telling you about. This is the Messiah. This is the guy who I'm, I, I, I'm all excited because he's actually here now, and we've been talking about him for a long time. And some of his disciples go, "Oh, that's the guy we're, that's the guy you've been talking about, Yeah, okay, bye, we're not going to follow you anymore. we're going to follow him." So they actually leave John. that's why by the way, that's why when John is beheaded, it hits the disciples so hard because some of them have been followers of John. They were very close to John, and so it's a big deal to them when john when John's beheaded, and they bring his body to jesus and they, and, and, and they come to Jesus with it and, they, and and they bury his body without his head. Because they were early followers of John before they were followers of Jesus. So we have some, you know, what we need to understand is all the disciples were believers when they, when they, when they followed um, Christ. Um, and this is early in the ministry of Christ. Luke chapter uh, 5 gives us a little bit different idea, and here's what it says. Luke chapter 5, and this is the story of Jesus and, and uh, the, the guys fishing. Uh, got it, guys? Luke chapter 5. Um. What's going on? Why are you back there? <laughs> Did it lock up? Okay, forget it. This is a Bible. That's <laughs> why you bring them to church, just in case the power goes out. Ah, uh, yeah, just, just go to blank screen. Don't be muslim with it. I don't want to fight with that all day. So, uh, Luke chapter 5, you got your Bibles, Luke chapter 5, I'll read it to you. Uh, Luke chapter 5, and here's what it says. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So they had brought their boats to land, and they forsook all and followed him. In the, in the lives of these disciples, we have different stages at which they become actual apostles. And the first stage is, some of them, like we said in John chapter 1, they start following Jesus. These guys are following Jesus, but they're also doing their job. So, it's like, okay, we're going to go follow Jesus. Hey, Jesus is teaching over there. Let's go listen to Jesus teach. And then, okay, Jesus, look, you know what, look, got to go. Fish are biting. We're out of here. So, they go, and they go do their job, and then they would come back and follow Jesus, and then but when this event happens in Luke chapter 5, it changes everything. These guys are like, you know what? We're no longer going to do this anymore. We're going to be complete disciples of Jesus. We're going to leave it all, and we're going to go follow him. And so you have this group of people who are now following Jesus, and we know them as disciples. Here's what you need to understand. There are lots of disciples at this point. Lots. Not just 12. Um, there are, by some estimates, uh, we know at least 70, and by some estimates, into the 100. So there, Because again, think about it for a minute. Jesus would come in, and people would get all excited, and they hear Jesus in town, they start bringing sick people to him, and he would heal them, and they start bringing uh, people who were uh, infer- um, uh, demonic, and he would cast out demons, and they would bring their little children and say, bless them. And, and he, so he got all these people. So everywhere he went, crowds would start to develop. And then he would teach. And, and people would go, I've got to hear more of that. So they would go to the next place that he went. And, and he would start to develop his following. And when you look at this life of Christ, here's what you find. The bigger the crowds got, the more specific his teaching got. And when Jesus would actually say some things to get people to walk away. See, it wasn't like when people started coming, he just like softened it all down and made it easier for you. No, no, no. You, you look at the life of Christ. The, the, the larger the crowds, the more dynamic his preaching and teaching got to where it got to the point that, in fact, uh, on one passage we'll look at later um, in the series. One passage, what happened is Jesus started teaching. The crowds have become so great. Jesus starts teaching about the idea of, of communion. And when he talks about drinking blood and eating flesh, they actually take it literally. And people go, I'm not following a cannibal i 'm out of here, and it says a large group when he got to that point says a large group left it. so you have this way of him weeding it out. Well here we come down to the idea now that as we 're getting closer and closer to the crucifixion, the persecution's getting greater and greater and greater, and um, people are, are getting to a point now that that they 're aggressively trying to get rid of christ because he 's a threat he 's a threat to the whole religious system. so Jesus now comes to a point in his ministry where he goes, You know what my time is now short. I've got to pass this on to somebody. So he's going to pick these 12 guys. Luke chapter 6 tells us the process, and, and I want to read it, because, and then Luke chapter 9 to, to go on. And, uh, but Luke chapter 6, here's what it says. Uh, in verse 12, it says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. So he calls everybody. He says, okay, guys, let's come. And from them he chose 12, whom he named apostles. So we see a difference between disciples and apostles. Um, And he goes on, um, and he named the apostles Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, um, and Simon, called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. So, oh, you guys got it back up. (laughs) Got to tell me that. Um, So you see the list here, okay? So you end up seeing this list. There's the 12 guys, okay? Uh, There's the 12 guys. So there now goes a difference between disciple and apostle, okay? We'll talk about that in a second. When you get to Luke chapter 9, he takes it a step further, and there's probably a gap of a couple of months between Luke chapter 6 and Luke chapter 9. So it's like he calls them, he spends a little time with them, and then he's going to give them the next idea. Notice uh, Luke chapter 9. Can we do it? Maybe? Ah, there we are. And he called the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all the demons to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God to heal the sick. He said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor bags, nor bread, nor money. Don't have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, then you go out of that city, shake the very dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So there comes a point in Jesus' ministry where he's taught them a little bit, and then he says, now, you guys, I've got you all set up. I want you to go out and do what I do. And they do. And they go out, and they do it. And you know this, some of the Bible story. They come back and go, hey, look, we tried that, and it didn't work. And Jesus teaches them a little more and helps them get some stuff cleared out and then, then, then goes out and, and they take off and, and do it again. Um, so there's a little bit of transition. And then you know the story. Jesus goes to the cross, dies, buried, resurrected. He finds them um, in, the, in the upper room and then he finds them again at the, at, the, at, Gala, at, the, at the sea fishing and Jesus sends them out. What you need to understand is that at that point, we don't know what happens to a lot of them. So we have to step out of the Bible realm and go into the history realm. And when we step into history and we read the story of the, of the apostles, what you need to understand is that all of them die a martyr's death. This wasn't just something they did. This was something they gave their life for. So let's talk about a couple of ideas, and then we're going to get into some things that I think will help us. Why 12? Why not 5 or 3 or 8? What you need to understand is that 12 is a very important number, and there's a reason for 12. You see, Jesus was Jewish, and so Jesus is coming from a Jewish background. The gospel is going to go to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. And in a Jewish world, 12 is associated with what? The 12 tribes of Israel. So Jesus is presenting this idea that In the old covenant, in the old system, in the old Jewish idea, there were 12 tribes of Israel that were very, very important. They're still important. But in this new covenant, in this new arrangement, in this new setup, there's 12 now different figureheads in this group. And so 12 becomes a very, very significant number to these people um, in in the way that Jesus is presenting himself. Um, These 12 people are important. When you get to the new Jerusalem, their names adorn the 12 gates of the city. So they have a a, a role, not just in the past, but in in the future. So 12 becomes a very, very important aspect to this, and why 12? In Luke chapter 6, Jesus pulls some time away, and he prays before he tells these 12 who they are. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this for a minute, but why does Jesus pray? I mean, this isn't like, this isn't like um, uh, the voice where he's trying to decide who I eliminate. And he's got to figure out, okay, which 12 do I pick? I mean, he would have known from day one who the 12 were. So, and, and when the passage says that he prays, the word literally is the word of agonize. It, it's this intense prayer that Jesus is praying all night for these guys. Why? See, I don't think Jesus is struggling all night with the 12 guys that he is going to pick. And who they are. I think Jesus is praying for the 12 guys. Because Jesus knows that what he's about to ask them to do is no easy task. Because you see, here's what's amazing about these disciples and apostles there is no plan B. It's not like Jesus goes, okay, this is my A team. And this is my B team. So if A team doesn't succeed, we'll send B team onto the field. There is no B team. The most important event in all of history, Jesus coming to this earth, God coming to the earth, wrapping himself in human flesh, walking among us, dying on a cross, that message of salvation, he is going to turn over to these 12 people and say, now, I've done everything. If you guys fail," Nobody gets saved. If you guys drop the ball here, it's over. Now, again, God could have done it a hundred ways. God could have given angels the message. God could have written it on stones and every once in a while dropped one in your path. There's a million ways God could share the gospel with you, but he takes all of it and puts it in these 12 guys. And that's incredibly significant. So I think Jesus is spending the night praying for these guys because of the task that they are about to be, is about to be put upon them. It says in Luke chapter 9 that they were called apostles. Now, you need to understand that that's a very, very important word. Um, The idea of apostle is the idea of messenger sent one. In fact, our word angel actually comes from this idea. So, the idea is that these guys are unique. These guys are sent. They are messengers. They are representatives. Jesus would have spoken Aramaic, and in Aramaic, there is a word, um, called uh, Shilaya, I think I'm pronouncing it right. I hope so. But um, that word was a represent was a representative of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was think of the Sanhedrin as the Supreme Court. Okay, so let, Sanhedrin they 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 figured out all kinds of religious discussions of the day. And they had, sometimes people would say, hey, look, we need the Sanhedrin to make this decision. And the Sanhedrin would go, look, we're not meeting today. We're not meeting for like another month, or we don't have time, or our docket is full. So here's what we'll do. We're going to send out our Shalaya to go represent us, and whatever he says, it's the same thing as it came from us. When Jesus calls these guys apostles, that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, these guys, if they say it, it's the same thing as if I said it. They are representing me. They are speaking for me. They are healing with the same power that I healed with. They are casting out demons with the same power that I did. I am giving them all of this power and ability because they are representing me. And so it was very, very important that they did it right. So that's why they would would come back with Jesus and go, we failed you, we failed you. We weren't able to cast out the demon. And Jesus was like, that's because these come out by prayer and fasting alone. So he's able to constantly teach them back and forth. So we have these guys that, that, that Jesus picks, these 12 apostles. Now, let me start getting into some of the stuff that I think helps us. Here's the thing you need to understand. You need to understand that when Jesus picks these guys, their spiritual understanding is zero. Yes, they love Jesus. Yes, they trusted Jesus as Savior. That's about it. They didn't come from a great religious background, so they have all this religious history stuff. Because you can tell by the questions they ask. They ask some really basic, like, like kindergarten Bible-level questions at time. They, these are people with no spiritual understanding. But here's the thing. What they would do is they would follow Jesus. Again, the teaching method of the day then is different than it is now. If you want to learn something today, what do you do? You go take a class. Somebody stands at the front, and they say, here's our PowerPoint, follow this. Here's what you do, blah, 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 blah. That's how we learned today. That's how you learned in that day. In that day, if you wanted to learn something from a teacher, what you did is you shadowed that teacher 24-7. And you'd watch everything that they did. And you'd say, why are you doing that? How come you're doing it that way? And what the teacher would do is the teacher would teach you. And then the teacher would demonstrate for you. And then the teacher would have you demonstrate for them. And then the teacher would let you do it, and the teacher would stand off on the sideline and watch you do it and wouldn't say anything until you had questions for the teacher. That's how they would teach in that day. So these guys are shadowing Jesus. And so Jesus would sit in a group, and he would teach something and stuff like that, and then the group would, uh, Jesus would walk away from the group, and the group would go away, and it would just be a small group, and the disciples would go, Hey, 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 we didn't get that. You know, you said something about seed and going on ground and da-da-da-da-da. We don't What does all that mean? Now, these were the close followers, so these guys had zero spiritual understanding. It it wasn't like there were a bunch of Bible scholars that Jesus picked. That's why it was so difficult for the world to embrace these guys and what they were teaching. Not only were they spiritual, there's no humility in these these guys. These guys are competitive as all get out. I mean, they actually sit there arguing one day. Jesus comes on the scene. He goes, what are you guys talking about? Oh, oh, oh we got a question now. In the end, when you're like in the grand high, you mock, everything, who gets to be the VP? Because I think it should be me. And I think it should be yeah. and them. And, and they're arguing among themselves. And then one of, the, one of the guy's mom shows up and argues why she thinks it ought to be her kids. These aren't guys who are going, "Oh, we're just humble followers of Jesus." These are guys who are going, "You know what? I want to be at the top. I'm competitive. I want to get up. We don't think of them in those terms. But they are. These are guys who have very little faith. In fact, one of the things you're going to see Jesus says to them over and over and over and over again is, "Oh, you have little faith." Don't you guys get it? What who are you following, guys? Because they don't get it most of the time. These are guys who honestly aren't all that committed to Jesus in the beginning. When we get to Gethsemane and the Roman army shows up, they all hightail it out of there. Every one of them. There's not one guy that says, I'll be there for you. Every one of them is gone. When Jesus is crucified, put in the tomb, buried, they're hiding in a room. Later, Jesus has to find them fishing. They're not doing what he's taught them to do for 18 months. They're out fishing because they don't know what else to do. Yet, by the time we get to Acts chapter 2, there is no one more committed to Jesus Christ than these guys. So there's something that happens in those 40 days in which Jesus becomes very, very real to the point that they're willing to give their lives for him. The other thing that you observe about these guys is that there is no power, so to speak, because the, the, although they're able to do some things, they come back often saying, okay, how come we couldn't do this? How come we couldn't do this? How come we couldn't do this? And Jesus is able to help them along the way. Now, I say that to say this. That that is tremendously encouraging to me. That I can have no humility, very little commitment, very little faith, no spiritual understanding, no power, and God can use me to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ, and He can do the same thing with you. See, what you've got to realize is He took twelve ordinary people that none of us would have chosen. Um, in fact, some of you have seen this on the internet. I love this because I think it spells it out so well. Dear Sir, addressed to Jesus, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for the managerial position in your new organization. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. Simon Peter, is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, they place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude and would tend to undermine the morale of the group. We feel that it's our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings. And they both registered a high score on a manic-depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness. He meets people well. He has a keen business eye, contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. Sincerely, the Jordan Management Consultants none of us would have picked these guys. In fact, I dare say if you had to choose someone to work side beside you in an endeavor in your organization or in your church or whatever else, none of these guys would have made your list. But when Jesus looks out at all of the disciples who are following him, he says, you, 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 you. I can do a lot with you. So what was it about these guys that stood out? And I think these are the lessons for us. First of all, here's the idea. They were ordinary people. We forget that. We forget that God uses ordinary people. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1. I'm going to try it. Can you guys get it up here or not? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For you see your calling, brethren. Not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things to put to shame the things which are mighty. The base things of the world are the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring nothing, the things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You see, It's not about your talents, gifts, abilities, and all those kinds of things. God will use them. But God wants you. You go, "Uh, you know, I'm just afraid that if I say something, I'm going to get asked a Bible question that I don't have a Bible answer for. Great. You know what? So what? It's not about your spiritual understanding. It's about your willingness to be used. The fact that that and, and I don't want to, it's hard to say this in the right way. The fact that we're ordinary means we have a greater ability for God to use us. Because what happens is when God takes average people and empowers them and uses them, the world notices because the world realizes we're average, normal people. When these guys preach at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, you know what, you know what the world says of them? These are unlearned people. Literally, the the idea is, the Greek idea is, they are ignoramuses. How can ignoramuses say something like that? Why? Because God was using them, and God was speaking through them. And you'd be amazed, in your life, if you would simply open your mouth and allow God to use you, how people would step back and go, you know what, you know, they got all this crazy stuff they believe, but you know what? Some of it makes sense. Because it's God speaking through you. It's God using you because God takes great delight. And the fact is, look, if, when you, and I are, if you and I are together and we're talking to somebody, here's what you need to understand. The second they find out a pre- that I'm a preacher, walls go up and they shut me out because they put me in a different category. That's why you ever around me. I don't introduce myself as Pastor Jim unless I don't want somebody to talk to me. You know, I mean, unfortunately, I've sat on a plane. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Pfft, done. Quiet plane ride the rest of the trip. You know, um, but you have the opportunity to talk to those people because they don't expect it from you. They expect it from a preacher. They don't expect it from a person who's just a person. And and you have a tremendous opportunity as an ordinary person. And the, the more you think you are unqualified, the more qualified you are. And, and I want to encourage you because when you look at these 12 guys, none of us would have had any of these qualities if we said, that's what I want, and somebody who's going to, I'm going to share the most important thing in all the world with. They're teachable. That's the one thing you learn about the disciples. The apostles, these guys are teachable. You're here this morning because you're teachable. So God says, you give me somebody who's willing and somebody who's teachable, I'll turn the world upside down. But if we're unwilling and if we're not teachable, then we miss out. The fact that you're here this morning tells me that you want to learn more about God, that you want to get closer to God, that you want your life to change, that you want your life to be different. You know what God can do with that kind of attitude? Because the one thing about these 12 guys that you see, you see that. You see them. When they fail, what do they do? They come back to Jesus and go, hey, look, okay, we don't get this. We tried what you said. It didn't work. So what do we do now? And you say, okay, what you were up against is something very, very unique. It only comes out with prayer and fasting. What you're up against here, you gotta, you got to, know, what you guys need to do is you need to do it this way. And you see that kind of change and that kind of teachability with these guys. And when you and I are teachable, listen, God can do all kinds of things. And they're committed. They weren't going to give up. I don't think you see it until after the resurrection actually near the end of the resurrection but when you get to pentecost when you understand what these guys did at pentecost when it's passover and they're stand, or it's it's pentecost and they're standing outside the temple gate with everybody coming in and everybody gathered out and they're turning around going hey look jesus is the answer and, everybody's, and and people are throwing all kinds of questions at them. Hey, what about this? Hey, what about this? Doesn't the Jewish law teach this? Blah, blah, blah. And they're going boom, 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 boom. Because the Holy Spirit had come upon these guys in an incredible way. And it's become so committed in their thing that no matter what happens to them, they keep going for Christ. Ultimately, Peter comes to the end of his life, again, not from the Bible, but from history, we know this. They come to Peter and say, we're going to crucify you just like your Savior. You know what Peter's request is? Crucify me upside down, because I'm not worthy to die the same way my Savior died. Now, if you know anything about crucifixion? What you will understand is the whole purpose, the whole way that you died in crucifixion was you suffered to death because you could not pull yourself up to get breath. You hang upside down? Why? How, how do you go from a commitment level of I'm going to deny you at a fire and then I'm going to give my life for you And by the way, the fact that if you want to know whether or not the the Bible story is true and Jesus was real and all that kind of thing, look, you don't give your life for a sham. And you want an even greater thing? Some of these people were related to Jesus. And to take it to the level that you will follow someone you're related to, to the point of death because of what they taught, that's pretty serious. And I just want to challenge you because I, my concern in a ministry like this, in rural America, is this. You don't understand what God can do with you when you say, I'm going to be willing to let God use me and I'm going to be teachable and no matter what gets thrown at me, I'm going to hang in there. You don't know how much God can take the world that he's put you in and turn it upside down for Christ. You and I are here today because these 11, 12 guys, we won't get into it. Yes, we know Judas hangs himself, or commits suicide and hangs himself, and Matthias becomes the the, the replacement. Matthias does the same thing as far as taking this thing all throughout the world. These 12 guys, We're here because they didn't quit. Because they said, you know what? I may not have spiritual understanding. I may not have humility. I may not have faith. I may not have all these kinds of things, but I'm willing to follow Jesus and learn. And if he wants to use me, I'm going to let him use me. And God said, I will raise churches and Christians all over the world because you were willing to let me use you. We've all got a world that we have. Every one of you are going into that world this week. God says, I want to use you in that world. Satan will give you all the reasons that he can't use you this week. Your past. Oh, you don't you know. Nobody wants you. You know your past. You know what you're doing. Blah, 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 blah. When you start to learn the story of these guys' past, when we get into the whole idea of what a zealot really believed, you're going to go, whoa. Why in the world would God choose somebody like that? With that kind of past? God said, no, no, no. They're teachable, and they're willing, and they're committed, and I can use them. He'll do the same thing with every one of us. So I end it with this. I end it with the idea that God entrusted us, or the greatest message in the world, to 12 ordinary men. He does the same thing today. And he wants to use each one of us. He uses ordinary people who have a teachable spirit and are committed to him. So let him use you this week. Let's pray. Lord, it is easy for us to get convinced that you don't want to use us or you can't. But Lord, the whole story of the apostles is that, Lord, that is just not true. Lord, you took these guys and you turned the world upside down using them because they were willing. So, Lord, help us to have that same kind of commitment this week. Lord, we've got each got difficult situations that we're going to face. We've got situations where it's easy to cut corners, where it's easy to not stand up, where it's easy, Lord, to let somebody else um, determine, Lord, what we say or what we don't say. Lord, help us. Give us wisdom to know when to speak, wisdom to know when to be quiet. Give us understanding and teachable hearts that, Lord, when the opportunities come, that, Lord, we will allow you to use us to change the world that you've put us in. And when it is all said and done, Lord, as Paul said in Corinthians, may you be glorified in us. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, Let's stand together. and.